Well, what's up guys? Welcome to episode four of the After Hours Podcast here at Midwest Whitetail. On this one, we're gonna be diving into two hunts, one with Kane Gillette, who's been a longtime team member, killed his first buck in the last three years. He's gonna walk us through his story and essentially what all led up to that perfect October morning. And then the big man, Owen Riegler, didn't waste any time, got in on that decoy action. If you listen to episode three, he talked about maybe using that tactic and man, it came together. So just a couple of to-do things before we jump into the podcast. First and foremost, we have partnered with Arctic Shield to host a Chasing November giveaway. And if you guys would like to enter, there's some really great prizes and entry is super simple. All you need to do is go to Instagram, go to Arctic Shield, and then follow their link tree. There's a Chasing November giveaway spot right there. And then entry is very simple. Fill out the information, follow the partners who got involved with us, and go win some awesome prizes to kick off the best month of the year. So appreciate you guys. We got a lot of kills coming down the pipe on the main shows. We got a lot of episodes on the regional shows with awesome team members with great kills. And hope you're having some great hunting. Hope you enjoy this podcast. And best of luck next time you hit the stand. Welcome back to the After Hours Podcast. We're ringing in episode four, and it is Halloween, November's Eve. And on episode three, we talked about this awesome cold front, perfect timing, great conditions. We're incoming. And guys, it has been crazy. Um, Don't even know where to start. We could have up to 15 people on this podcast tonight if we want to tell all the deer stories. The Midwest Whitetail team has been flat out knocking them down. And tonight we're joined by Owen Riegler, who got back in the saddle and then just jumped right out of it. And we're going to hear about that today. Zach Rosmus and then Kane Gillette out of Illinois. So Really exciting stuff coming your way. Uh, just a quick recap for those that are now joining us in this podcast series. Last week, episode three, we talked about incoming cold front, different tactics that the team was going to employ, different suggestions. And then we said we were going to meet back up and talk about how it went. So that's kind of what we're going to do tonight. We're going to join Kane. He is the one that killed first, uh, I believe, the 28th of October. Nice. 29th. And then Zach and Owen killed back to back. Owen was the evening, and then the next morning Zach killed. So let's hear from Kane. I'm excited to hear about this. Let's go. <laughs> Appreciate that. So just dive right in here, huh? Yeah. What What were you doing? Where were you at? Why were you there? What What property was this? I mean, maybe some of the viewers have followed along over the years, and you know, maybe. Yeah. How about this? Start with the buck you killed back in 2020 and the progression. That is uh, taken from there and then lead us into the conditions of the hunt. Sure. So uh, Halloween of 2020, uh, that was the last buck I had killed before this, uh, this past weekend here. Um, and for the people that are familiar with that, that was on a farm um, that I had hunted my whole life. Um, it, was a, it was a permission farm that we, uh, we farmed the tillable ground on it and we just had hunted it. I mean, like I said, my whole life. So um, I think my dad had access to that for like 30, 35 years. Um, And then so I grew up on it. And so in 2020, that farm uh, sold and it had sold before, but any other time it had changed hands, um, we got to go with it. So we were fortunate in that aspect. Um, But that sale in 2020, we did not get to go with it. So um, pretty big adjustment for me. Um, and, and it's been, it's been, uh, it's clearly been a grind. It's been uh, three years almost since I shot a buck. Um, but I have been really fortunate. Um, in 21, that following year, we landed on a farm. Um, we were able to purchase a farm with uh, my wife's family. Um, so we kind of, we, you know, we had a home farm, um, kind of going backwards a little bit that the original permission farm was roughly 550 acres. So it was a pretty good chunk. Um, and the new farm that we were able to get in on purchase was 133. So a little bit of a downsize there. So I kind of seeked out, um, some other opportunities and had just, I consumed some permission pieces in the same neighborhood. Um, and so the last two years for me, it's just been figuring that out. Um, you know, a lot of you guys, Zach's really familiar with it right now, just getting on new pieces and, figure them out. And that's kind of a slow burn. Um, you know, Owen, you've been there before, obviously, and it's, you're reaping all the rewards of it now, but, uh, 
so um, with that, just kind of figuring these farms out um, this year, it's definitely felt like it's come together. It's, I don't know about what you guys think, but it's, it's been all of a two-year process for me for figuring out. I mean, I, I tried to, tried to do a lot of it just on Onyx, just, you know, looking at aerials constantly, but that only gets you so far. You got to have some, some real life encounters there to go off of, um, and trail cams help, but you know, it was a lot of just trial and error here these last two years, which is why it's kind of, you know, there's been opportunities there, but not great ones. Um, and that, you know, that's the air side of it. So this year, like I said, I felt like going into the season, it's been coming together a little bit. Um, trail cams have been good. I feel, you know, even that's a, that's a learning curve in itself, just figuring out where to run cameras, you know, where you're getting the most consistent action on the cameras. Um, and I felt like I'm finally coming around to that. So, um, I've got a permission farm that's literally right across the road from the home farm. Um, it's another 160 acre piece. Um, and that one is a, it's a, it's probably an 80, 20 tillable timber ratio. Um, it's mainly a, a cattle pasture and some, some, uh, production ground there. Uh, but it's got a nice, like probably 40 acre timber that butts up to just a huge block of really good habitat. Um, just kind of one of those deals that's right smack dab in the middle of stuff. So, um, the corn recently came out on that farm, oh, I think two weeks ago. So I got cams in there, started running cams and the, the buck inventory was really heavy. Um, it's kind of funny cause right across the road, um, on my home farm, it's, I'm very young over there. Um, I, this year it's been, you know, mainly, you know, just a pile of three-year-olds, which is, it's cool to look at on camera, but from the hunting aspect, it's been it made things a little slower than right across the road here on this permission piece. It was just loaded with mature deer this year. So, um, you know, with this cold front coming in, it was obviously really timely. Um, I know Josh and I had talked about it. It was crazy just to be as excited as we were for the end of October, but the weather just, you know, everything just pointed. It was just perfect. So, um, with the conditions, I knew I wanted to dive in there. Um, that, you know, that 40 acre timber that I was talking about that I can hunt on that farm. It's, uh, it's, it's really just two to three real big ridge tops that just, they've got ditches that run down to one bottom. Um, I hung a stand in it a week ago, um, on Saturday and, uh, you know, right there in the middle where all these fingers just feed down the ditches. And, you know, with the cold front, I figured I'd go in there first morning of the year on Sunday and just see, uh, you know, what bucks were going to be cruising. I knew the bucks were there and they're, you know, clearly the does are bedding in that area. So, um, the sit started out Sunday, Sunday morning. Um, we, I had the nicest three-year-old that I've had on that farm came through, which was fitting because that's kind of been my recipe across the road. Um, so three real nice three-year-old walked right under the tree and I do my opening interview, you know, we get enough light for that. And I'm like, you know, this is going to be one of those days, you know, they're just on their feet, going to be moving really well. Um, was looking forward to the sit. And then after that did not see another buck, the rest of the sit, just, just nothing but does funneling through. So it was probably like nine 30 and, uh, feeling a little dejected, you know, like, ha, ah, you know, <laughs> talked myself in, you know, it's going to be awesome you know, going to be this great sit. We got this cold front, like it's, you know, it's guaranteed. And, uh, you know, I'm doing my exit interview. We were going to get down and go hang another set for later that day. So, um, you know, it'd been slow. So I'm doing my exit interview and, uh, I've watched it back now. It's kind of fun to watch. Um, I literally say on the exit interview, I say, you know, conditions are great, but it's still just a touch early. And I don't know that the mature deer on this farm are quite hammering. And the second I finish the word hammering, my eyes get big. And I tell Brad, there's a doe. I tell Brad, there's a doe running right at us. And sure enough, here comes this buck, one of the bucks that I've had on camera. He's right behind her, a nice four and a half year old deer, uh, 11 pointer, just dogging her. I mean, you would think we were two weeks into this thing already. He was nose to the ground, grunting, just honor. And uh, within 45 seconds of me saying the mature deer are not going yet, here's this four-year-old deer at 22 yards, I think, broad, stopped in broadside and just sent one through his heart. And we watched him fall down. So uh, it was pretty cool. You know, we've all said it over and over again that it just can happen at any time. And for me, the takeaway was 
it doesn't necessarily have to be the heart of the rut, just the rut in general. Like, I, you know, beginning of the rut, middle of the rut, towards the end of the rut, it can happen. And, you know, so I, and the other thing, I guess I'm just going to close every hunt that's slow that way and just sit there for a second from now on and see if it works. So <clears throat> you left out the part where you text me and you said that you were cold and you know that it was really, really slow. You left out that portion of it too, but <laughs> there, that, that receipt, that receipt exists. I, I, right before the interview, I texted Zach. I said, this is slow. You know, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to get some work done get some stands hung. And then I think I FaceTimed or called him right after the kill which was probably yeah, it was five. like yeah it was like five minutes after he texted me that like he facetimed me and i assumed he was like drinking a cup of coffee in his truck or something like that i'm like why are you facetiming me you just told me your hunt was like slow and like nothing was going on and then, <laughs> and then it turns out he had just killed you know so that was like an interesting you know transgression of events there pretty quickly so what time did you say that was kane when you scored I think it was like 9.30. Um, 9.30. Um, when I started the interview, I think it was around 9.30, 10 o'clock, somewhere in there. Um, and I was going to get down and get some stuff caught up for the afternoon set. Well, it's the, I would say 9.30, 10 seems like longer than most folks are probably putting in in October, late October. I mean, I know a lot of people shot deer this weekend, but you, what led you to staying that late? You know, I, I feel like most people have a slow hunt. They're going to bounce. It's like, ah, oh, it's too early. What what made you give it that extra two hours? You talked about trail cameras. Was there any indication that you knew you were right in a doe bedding area? Were you in between spots? Like, why do you think that that was the location worth sitting the time you did? So, for sure, the transition to the bedding area. I knew those deer bedding north um and those ditches were just they funnel from one funnels from a cornfield on top and the other two just funnel from ridge tops down um in the past last year i sat there um and that you know that was the that's what we saw just does and deer constantly funneling to the north through there so i wanted to get in there just to see if we could find deer scent checking i didn't expect to see a deer dog and a doe like that on the 29th but i for sure thought we'd catch some deer cruising you know bucks just scent checking stuff hitting scrapes whatever it may be um, so that's definitely what the cameras camera wise I had. Yeah, to the 29th, I hadn't had a deer daylight in the morning, a mature deer on that farm, but it just was, that's probably why I sat there so long. So I wanted to prove myself that I did know what I was talking about somewhat. Cause I hyped myself up on that cold front. I'm like, this is going to trigger them, you know? So we just sat it out and the does did keep funneling till probably that last like half hour. You know, we hadn't seen any does go through. And at that point in the morning in October, you know, that's probably your thought. Everything's back to bed at that point. So that's what, you know, we're going to get down. And he brought her. I guess that's a good point. Um, you know, and I haven't really thought about it myself. But when he pushes that doe to me, he pushes her out of that bedroom to the north where does had been funneling all morning is where he brought her from when they came back. So that's probably what he was doing was checking those beds and kicked her up. So. Which I would say, I would say too, like, like from here on out for like these next, you know, really from this last week of October, the next two, three weeks, it seems like the longer you can sit, the better, obviously. And there's always like that hard decision where if it's like things have been slow, you know, type of thing where it's hits that 930 mark and you're like, should we get down? You know, like, I know I got lunch back in the truck or can we go to the gas station and regroup or something like that? You know, there's like always that hard decision and it never fails that I always try to tell myself, Hey, we're going to sit another 15 minutes. You know, I'm going to sit another, you know, set that deadline for yourself. Cause it, it never fails that when you start talking about leaving, like that's when that switch like flips There's just something about that. You well, know, that's the Brad and I joke about that all the time. That is the worst feeling on a morning hunt when you're lowering your bow down. Cause you're just on pins and needles. Like it's going to happen now. It's been slow, but you know, when you're dropping everything out of the tree, it's like here, it, it's going to happen. So, well, and the, the thing is too, when you get into mid morning, late morning, middle of the day, the, the one deer you're probably going to see is very likely going to be your shooter, you know, big, big buck up and moving. You might not see another deer, but you know, just the fact that you're there. I know that's happened to me a lot of times. You're like, let's just give it another half an hour. And the one deer you see is the one you're after. So that's a good point just to stick in. Well, and I think that one of the factors that was playing into this weekend too, were 
I would tend to sit a little bit later on like full moon or like right around the full moon. Cause I think you get a lot of nocturnal activity, you know, where they're out feeding, you know, cause they can see really well, a lot of activity at night. Usually your, your cameras are really going off during that full moon. And I, in my experience, you see a lot of them, they'll go back to bed for a little while, first thing in the morning. And then that mid morning activity from like that 10 to 1130, you can get an influx of activity during those full moons, you know, because essentially they've gone and bedded down for a little while. Now I'm going to get up and check that bedding area, you know, type of thing to see if there's anything going on. Yeah, that's a great point, Zach. I mean, two takeaways that I'm listening, you know, just as somebody, I haven't been in the woods actually hunting and been running a camera with a good buddy, Brian Brown from Georgia. And we haven't seen any deer. I mean, we were hunting public land the first three days, but we just knew the weather was too good to go anywhere else. You know, you keep hearing this, the cliche over the years, you can't kill them from the couch, can't kill them from the truck, etc. If you can be out there, be there. And is it getting to that time frame where trail cameras really go out the window? At this point, you know, is it probably more valuable? And Owen, maybe chime in on this and you guys, but is it more valuable to look at what your cameras told you last season? You know, what doe bedding areas might pick up at a certain time frame. I know we talked about that a little bit last week of, you know, certain pockets seem to light up at certain times of the year. You know, if you were basing your whole morning off trail cameras, let's just say you couldn't have hunted cane. You probably would have never even known there's a mature buck that went right by your stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's just trying to, if you're a listener out there, you're trying to figure out when you can go or when you should go just go right now. I mean, that's kind of where we're at is the best time is right now. Don't, don't wait. So. Yeah. I think those current conditions, Josh, like you said, I mean, that's the, that's the Trump card to me. I don't care, you know, what I've had for pictures in the past, but when the conditions are just perfect, you just got to go. Now, if you're hunting a specific deer, you can go back and look at that historical data and see where he was last year and the year before and all that's great. And maybe that's where you want to hunt, but when the conditions are right, I'm just going to go regardless of what my cameras have said, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, I know I'm certainly happy for you, Kane. I mean, I, three years, that's a, it's been a really cool adventure, you know, a lot of positive in between, you know, but filling a tag is certainly cherry on top. So I'm super happy for you, man. It's awesome, buddy. Good job. Appreciate it guys. It was, it was a good feeling. It I had not thought about the three-year window, which you probably don't want to, but I, I really had not thought about it until I was doing my recap. I'm sitting there with this deer doing the recap, and you, know, you guys will see it, and it just hits me all of a sudden. It's like, man, this is not just first bug. This is the first deer I have shot in, in three years, you know, and it was it was pretty cool. Cool feeling. Cool to, to kind of feel like you're finding your way again. So it was good. good. Yeah. Well, for those that want to follow along with that hunt, please be on the lookout for the Midwest Whitetail Harland show. And you're going to be able to see the full story there this coming Friday. So not too far away. And for what it's worth, just because Kane might not have shot a deer in the last three years, you know, one of the things I'd love to give him a big shout out for those of you who don't know him is that that's probably because he's been putting the family first. You know, he's been doing a ton of hunting figuring out the farms, but you know, his daughter, Emma, those are some of my favorite hunts to watch every year. So, I mean, it just, uh, it's not for lack of effort or lack of time going into other hunts, you know what I mean? So just so the folks know that, you know, going into, to watching that episode, um, I'm very excited to watch it. I haven't got to see any of it yet. So Brad is up next. Yeah, actually Emma speak now right on cue. Uh, Emma gets to, uh, Miss a little school tomorrow and go for a rut hunt in the morning. Oh, so. boy. Yeah. I won't tell anybody. Yeah. Hey, that stuff's excused these days. They can do stuff like that. So nice. Yeah. Well, October 29th, you killed a deer. Owen, what were you doing October 29th? I remember getting some pretty, pretty cool texts once we had got the service that night just having the time of my life man you know i was i was sitting on the couch after the lockness you know thrill of victory i'm like i don't want to be tagged out october 10th you know so i'm just biding my time the weather's not great just enjoying that victory you know and it's finally this weather front's coming in and i'm like well it's time to get back to it this is going to get good and i've left this area where i'm hunting alone like i love to do i like to really pick my shots when the time seems right you know 
And so this is this is no different. We went down there the the first night, and I debated a decoy that night. And uh, you know, I, I said there in that interview, I said, you know, the trick is always getting by the does. There's always does. I'm on a food source. There's always does down there. So you know, you flip a coin whether or not you're going to get by them. Are they going to wreak havoc, mess the whole hunt up, start stomping at your decoy? You know, we've been there before. I decoyed a long time ago, and I don't do it a lot anymore, just just for that reason. But for some reason, I, I had seen pictures of this buck that I wanted to get, this eight, and I thought he was aggressive. So that was what brought the decoy out. Like, okay, he's a big tough guy down here, huh? So this could get interesting in a hurry. So I was down that, that first day. We didn't have the decoy out. We still had a, a good hunt, and like Kane alluded to it, it kind of reminded us it's still October. You know, the movement was a little bit late. We've seen plenty of deer, and they came out a little late and I'm like, eh, it's still October, you know, but it was good movement. We seen the target buck I was after. I did see him. So I was like, well, I haven't had one daylight picture of him. And so there again, it just goes to show you, like, don't wait for that daylight picture. When you got conditions that are so good, all the triggers are lining up. You just got to be out there, you know, don't wait for that picture. And I still wouldn't have had a picture of him anyway. Didn't walk in front of a camera. Like you said, Josh. I mean, who knows when you'd get a daylight picture and he's been walking all around down there. So you just never know. Mm -hmm. So going into that second day, decided to bring the decoy out. I'm like, well, we're going to find out what these does are going to do. I know we're going to see does first. So it just turned into probably one of the best hunts I can remember. I mean, of course, you got to remember back a long ways. I've had some really good hunts. But this, as far as from a behavior standpoint, we got to see so much cool stuff. It's unbelievable. We had the decoy out and, you know, first here come the does and they seem mostly weirded out that the buck wouldn't chase them. The buck is so realistic and they would come up to it and it's like, you know, they act submissive or whatever. You're going to chase me or what's your deal? You know, and they're just kind of skirting around it. Well, then they didn't want to leave it alone. They're like, this is not right. You know, mm -hmm. they would come back to it and are you going to chase me or what are you going to do here? Kind of smell it and. But eventually they'd just leave it alone. They they never took it as that's not a real deer. So that was big. Yeah. And before we keep rolling in the story here, so what kind of decoy are you using? And bringing it in, storing it. You know, if you're somebody that's using a decoy, you just made a great comment there. They came in smelling it. Why didn't they run away? I think of that when I talk to guys, you know, this thing's been sitting in their shop and then they just throw it here and throw it there. And then they're surprised that, you know, deer are blowing left and right and one thing i know we say this over and over that you pay attention to those details and so i know to you you're probably like well duh everything right. you're about to tell us but do you have a certain you know process what do you do you spray down your decoy are you putting any sort of scent on it um you know particular postures because you're, you're running the dave smith decoy correct that's right yeah so you know the ears can rotate you know yeah. the, the antlers Run us through your decoys, setup, presentation, preparation. Yeah, I just want it to be scent free, basically. I don't, I don't spray it down with anything because there again, I think there's some type of scent there. Not that it would be alarming to a deer, mm -hmm. but I'm just trying to go as natural, scent free as possible. So, I've got it outside. I let it sit in the rain, the weather, the thunderstorms, all that. Just trying to get it scent free, you know. And then when I handle it, of course, I'm careful not to you know, I put a glove on or whatever and not to get my hands all over it and get scent on it that way. And then when I set it up, I will put some scent out. I use some of that uh, buck rub. I think Caleb's a big fan of that on the scrapes. Is it the Evercalm? Uh, no, I think it's might be code blue. It makes okay. that buck yeah, rub. Yeah, yeah, it's yep, a yep, yep. pre-orbital scent, I think is what it is. Okay. So I did put just a little bit of that on his nose just to give it, give it something. So it did have a little bit of scent to it, but but yeah, overall, I just try to keep it as scent free as possible because yeah, I'm, we've probably all been there on that. You know, you got one that's got some human scent on it and they just freak out and like, ah, definitely not a deer. And not to mention you're walking out there, right? Like that's the other thing to me is it's not just the decoy that you have to worry about your scent. Like you're now walking to put the decoy in the area you're wanting to shoot, which most of the time pretty much goes against your entry and exit into a stand. Yeah, no. so you you won't be shocked to hear that I brought the decoy in like two days before, right? No, <laughs> I know, See? I know you won't. <laughs> I mean, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. you left that thing out there for two days, let it sit, let it acclimate. Like, 
Yeah, just I didn't put it out up, mm -hmm. but I just had it stored away in the brush there. You couldn't really see it there again. It's you know out in the weather, scent free, and it's already in there. We don't have to get all sweated up walking in with it, you know. So yep, yeah, that was the that was the plan. And then like I said, I set it up that second day. I said, well, we're going to find out what the does are going to do today. And like I said, we got past the does. They you'll see the interaction was pretty neat and. uh course you know i want Devin to film all this i said this is really cool stuff you know he's thinking you know if you got 10 seconds of a doe you're good i mean that's plenty to use but i was like get all this interaction because this is the stuff that's cool to me that i want to learn mm -hmm. and uh like i said eventually they just moved past it and left him alone and then the bucks started coming a little bit later and they got really crazy they were going nuts on it so first one walks in Sorry, somebody's trying to blow me up here. Uh, <laughs> first one walks in, just stiff-legged. Here he comes all the way, and he gets up there like 10 feet from the decoy, staring him down, starts pawing the ground. And I think, you know, they come up with all this confidence, and I think when that deer doesn't look away, doesn't do anything, I think it works on their intimidation because mm -hmm. he starts raking the ground, pawing the ground, and backing up. So he does this for like 10 minutes, and he keeps backing up the whole time. So he's on the ground he ends up back like 30 feet farther than where he started it was cracking me up just to watch this stuff it was it was awesome he ends up back at a rubbing post he like backs into it <laughs> he turns around and starts scraping you know it was just nuts watching all that well and then that was just the start of it really he ends up just turning around and walking back never does hit the decoy or anything that's where i think sometimes they get a little intimidated especially if they're not the king down there you know mm -hmm. they're like yeah I might square off with you, but I'm not too sure about you. I don't really know you. And then it, probably 15 minutes later, here comes another buck uh, coming from the east, opposite direction. Same thing. He sees the decoy. You know, ears are back on the decoy and just instantly bristles up, stiff-legged. Here he comes, just all thinks he's one bad man. He does the same thing. He comes over circles to the head of the decoy downwind and, just starts pawing the grounds like you want to go. It's just some of the coolest stuff that I've ever really seen. I mean, I've seen a little bit of it, you know, of course on TV and stuff, but, and he does the same thing. He keeps pawing the ground, but he keeps backing up to the point where he backs up right under our tree. I'm just, and I'm trying not to laugh. We got the GoPro run and I'm just over there having the time of my life watching this. Cause I love the behavioral stuff. And anytime you get to watch that kind of stuff, you know, scraping, the grunt and chasing does all that's my favorite stuff to watch so was very interesting like i said he ends up backing up right under the tree well finally he just works off he's like he had enough of the decoy as well he just starts walking away well about that time he gets 70 80 yards away we see another big eight pop out we're like i told devin i said we're about to have action right here i said get the camera because so i see the other one posture into the one that was just at the decoy and sure enough, you'll see it. We we just missed the clash. We he was trying to get the GoPro on, and uh, when they finally threw the threw the flag out and said go, it, they came together pretty hard there and just went at it. And he did get them fighting there for a good probably ten seconds, and it was an all out fight. And mm. the one that was at the decoy ended up chasing the other one off. So I I thought that was interesting. Basically, same age class. So gotcha. But yeah. Yeah, I just remember coming out of the woods. This is the same, because this is all the same day. Kane's texting me, deer down. And then the evening, you're like, I just had the best hunt of my life. And I was like, does that mean you shot a 214-inch deer? <laughs> what do you mean? Right. And, you know, then you brought me up to speed, and it, it just goes to show. It's like, it's hard to explain to people just how much you love deer and oh, deer hunting and deer behavior. And... You know, it's just, it's so cool to me. It's like you shoot the biggest deer of your life three weeks ago, and then you're topping it with the decoy, you know, interactions. And so it just, it's, uh, it's why that wall behind you and the wall in front of you that nobody can see looks the way it does is because it just, the obsession and the passion behind it never stops. But, oh, and how many deer would you say, uh, you got away with on that decoy then that night? Cause it sounds like quite a few that yeah, didn't bust I from the decoy. Yeah, I'd say it was probably somewhere around 10. So I think that's a good, for Josh's point, that's a really good point to the work that you're putting in with the decoy. Because if you've hunted with a decoy, getting away with 10 individual deer on one hunt is pretty impressive. You know, 
Because one quick. Yeah, and a lot of them had to walk right past the decoy. So that was the interesting part, you know. Are you going to get away with that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I I can't stress enough that like having a quality decoy, especially in the facial features. I mean, like I talked about on last week's podcast, but last year I was very fortunate. You know, it wasn't mine, but Mark had a uh, mount that we put on the front. And the difference in acceptance to that was astounding to some of the other ones that I use. We don't need to go brand brand dropping here, but I mean, like the reality is, is that the more realistic, and when we say realistic, I'm not even, I don't think it has anything to do with the body as much as what you were kind of talking about. We're like, I think it's all in the head, you know, and like the decoy that you're using is by far, you know, far and away, it's expensive. It's kind of cumbersome, but the detail that you're going to have in the ears, the nose, how you can control that presentation, I think makes all the difference in the world and why they accept it. But I think the size of that decoy too, Josh, cause the, I mean, w- one of the, com- one of the competitors, you know, of the decoys that are out there too. I mean, like what are they, what's the, the flambeau buck, you know, is what it is. They're huge, you know, like, I mean, it's legitimate. Like it looks like a 310 pound deer, you know, that it's out there, you know, type of thing. So I think that sometimes that can affect the behavior that you see, you know, when you use that, you know, decoy too. Um, but you know, I know one of the things that we talked about on the last podcast too, is that when you have a hunt, like what Owen describes, you can see how people get caught up in like the decoy. Like that's the only thing they focus on, you know, every time they hunt, it's like, I'm taking a decoy. Cause you have that one hunt and it like, just like sets it up in your mind that like, well, why am I doing this every single time? You know, like, this is like the coolest thing ever, you know, where, you know, if you ever see the cool footage where you ever have like a buck that goes after a decoy, you know, and like knocks it over, or, you know, type of thing where like, that's just like ingrained in, you know, it's like, okay, well from October 20th on, I'm taking a decoy. I'm going to hunt with one every single time where I, I think you can get caught in that, in a cycle too, because it's a great tool to have in the tool belt, but maybe not for every single application. Yeah. And I think that this kind of could lead into Owen, you know, and I actually have a clip that I'm uploading right now from our hunt today. Cause we've been using a decoy essentially because of this deer that we're hunting is a very obvious fighter. I mean, everything he comes into contact with, whether it's been, you know, on site encounters, trail cam photos, he just tries to fight everything. So we're like, well, if we can get him to get eyes on that, we think we're in good shape. But um, we talked about it last week, and I know this is going to be regurgitating the same information, but I think by far the most important thing about decoys, whether it's what everything we've talked about, none of it matters if you set it up wrong. Yep. If you set it up, you know, a doe decoy, or you set up a buck decoy, they have different. Because, like, one thing I'd ask you, Owen, how did the does approach that buck decoy versus how did the bucks, right? I'm assuming the does didn't really have a particular angle, you know, probably more so coming behind, you know, to smell the tarsal glands or anything of that nature. Whereas your bucks, you know, I'm assuming you had it out at a certain distance quarter to you so that the bucks would have to come downwind that then puts them between you and the decoy to get a shot. And I'm going to play this video, ignore the first like 10 seconds. This was a buck that we encountered, um, giant, but unfortunately stayed out. But you're gonna see coming up here, uh, this is how we've got it set up, uh, quarter two, and this little guy today was just feeling it. <laughs> I mean, he, it's the funniest thing, you're gonna see this, but he, you know, here, right here, you can see quartering two, we have a Northwest wind. He came from behind that buck decoy, circled around, and then does this whole thing. You, you're talking about the whole backing up thing? He just did that, and then this, <laughs> I'm like, do it. And he's like, this is just the most anticlimactic, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, just say, Hey man, are you gonna, are you gonna do anything here? Or we're we gonna do this. Come on, let's do it. You know? And, um, you know, it is just, but so this is actually one of the same decoys that you're using. And to your point, Zach, look how small of a difference this is. You know, that's a three right. and a half year old, but here's the, <laughs> you know, Dave Smith decoy you know, just ripped his head off. Yeah. And then he stayed here for another 20 minutes to your point, Owen. So um, to me, you know, it's a great point, Zach, that I really didn't even think of is like that smaller body, I think gives them more confidence to make the challenge. And it to me is like running a really realistic, you know, 
three quarter strut Jake or, you know, they're in Turkey season. So, um, but again, the decoy placement, that's the thing I think we could do a video on that. I mean, I think it's so, so important because like what you would do for a doe versus a buck, they are different. And if you place that buck wrong, you won't get the broadside shot you're looking for. And I think that that's ultimately the biggest takeaway. So, um, yeah, I mean, exactly right, Josh. I did have a quarter two, and I had him looking down this access farm access road just to add realism because if a deer's coming from there, which a lot did, he's looking right at him like naturally they would. So mm -hmm. just one more little detail. I wanted him just to be staring him down, you know, just looks natural. Yeah. You know. Well, do you want to dive into what happened the next day? Cause oh, I mean, we, we certainly can, and that's going to be one thing that, I'll talk about that surprised me is what direction that that deer circled the decoy. He doesn't come around to the head of the decoy, surprisingly. But, okay. you know, when I set up that hunt, I said, and I really believe this. Well, first, let me go back to the evening before. We got, we had all that interaction, the awesome hunt and everything. Well, the field kind of cleared out there the last 10 or 15 minutes, and it was really cloudy that day. So we lost camera light early. There were still 15, 20 minutes left of shooting light. And I told Devin, I said, well, the coast is clear. We lost camera light already. So let's just climb down and get out of here. We make a clean exit, which is more important than to set till just the very last minute. We can't film anyway. So we climbed down to do that. And uh, wouldn't you know, I look over in the beans right when we get down in that eighth and I'm after standing in the beans. I'm like, if you've got good light, I mean, you probably kill him that night. You know, he's. 50 yards away and uh and so that was the that's how that hunt ended and i talk about it the next day that we'd seen him both days and i think what's important i'm pretty sure this deer's aggressive although i've never seen him in person just going off in trail pictures what i've seen i think he's an aggressive buck and i talk about that very thing i say if if i if he gets his eyes on this decoy i think it's game on or game over which whichever way you want to look at it i think he's just going to march right to him and it worked out just perfect that way. We talked about these food sources I have in a line trying to establish movement. I want them to just go back and forth through this line, everything that we got the funnel situation there. And it was only four o'clock. I think we'd seen one or two deers all. And here I heard this doe snort. We both look over, we're trying to figure out where it came from and say, well, at least there's a deer around. All of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden the doe just comes running out. And I said, well, get ready, Devin. There's got to be a buck bumping her, I bet. 15, 20 seconds later, I said, there he is. He's coming from the east, coming down this edge. He must have just bumped that doe. And he sees the decoy right away. You can tell he just gets all bristled up. He walks over to a scrape and just starts tearing it up. And he's like, oh, here we go. We're about to have action. <laughs> you can just see his demeanor. He's all big and bad, you know. It was pretty awesome. As soon as he gets done with that scrape, he starts licking his nose. And I, okay. And my hands get a little tighter on the release at this point. I'm like, oh boy, here he comes. So he used to get stiff legged, bristles up. Here he comes all sideways walking in. Of course, I'm thinking he's going to circle the head of this decoy like they always do. He doesn't. He actually walks to the back of this decoy, which mm. I'm at full draw because, I mean, he's in range. I'm just waiting for this nice broadside shot. And he walks over at a different angle, stands there turns a little bit gives me a quarter two shot for a long time so i'm at full draw for like a minute on this finally he looks like he might walk away he takes a couple steps like he's going to leave you know and he'd sit there and pawed the ground like the other bucks and stuff there's some really cool interaction there you know finally gives me an angle that i like and uh so i took that shot and, and it hit him pretty good he was moving just a little forward. I didn't I didn't catch when I was looking through my peep sight. He was still just moving a hair forward. So that first shot hit back just a little bit. And when he runs off, it looks like I just absolutely hit him perfect, like heart shot him. But, you know, I started glassing him, and he didn't fall right away. And then I can see that shot's back just a little bit. And so he walks out there and stands like I ended up ranging. It was a long shot. But at this point, I know he's already mortally hit. I think you don't have anything to lose by shooting again. Why wouldn't you? If you can kill him quicker, I mean, that's that's our job as hunters to make the quickest, cleanest kill we can, you know. And so there's nothing to lose by shooting again. So I range him out there and launch one, and I can't believe it just tendering him just perfect right behind the shoulder, a little quartered away, and bam, hit that far shoulder, and he went about 10 yards and tips over right there. And 
Man. I'm so glad I took that second shot. I know a lot of guys might criticize you for shooting that far because a lot of things can happen. And in that situation, I don't know why you wouldn't, honestly. I mean, it's our yeah. job is to try to kill him. I mean, he was going to die either way, but why let him, you know, walk off and bed down or whatever if you can get him killed right there? Absolutely. And I mean, that that goes back to what we talked about on the Loch Ness podcast, the episode. Like, when you're shooting, I mean – What's the farthest you shoot when you practice all year? I mean, I know you do a lot from the garage, but you've got your own 3D course. For those of you who don't know, Owen is an absolute archery nut, and he has his own 3D course that he grooms better than most yards. <laughs> um, what is the furthest distance you're shooting out there? Oh, 100 is what I'll shoot some days. You know, I consistently shoot to 60 and 70. Like, I'll shoot that all the time, but then – you know, when we really want to stretch it out, we'll shoot a hundred. And, you know, like you said, I'm, you know, archery is a love of mine, just like, you know, whitetails. So it's hard to say which one I love more. They're, they're pretty equal. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't anything new to shoot that far. I do it all the time. So, I mean, I had a lot of confidence even on that shot, you know, I'm just like, I'll put it right where I want. And it sure did. And sometimes you even surprise yourself. And I think that was the case on that one, but it was pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> well, it just, you know, re affirms kind of what you talked about where muscle memory kicks in the role you know you've got all this adrenaline flowing and so i think that if you haven't got the chance to go back and listen to that one you know episode one owen talks about how the practice really makes these moments slow down for lack of a better term and you're focused on all the right things and not so much you know the shooting aspect so it's very interesting that the deer came in behind i don't know if i've ever you know witnessed or watched a decoy encounter with that occur and that's kind of where you dealt with that quartering two shot for so long yeah so it, it was very trivial to me as well why he walked that way and it wasn't even downwind that's what was most surprising to me they always want to get the wind in their favor mm -hmm. he's standing over there you know the wind's not in his favor trying to smell him but apparently i, I wouldn't think he could i don't know how far away is your decoy placed in this setting? So it's at 20, and, and that's a that's a critical thing, too, because if you put him at 30 in that instance and he circles around, now you got a 35, 37-yard shot. You know, now he's – I'm not going to say that's a, that's a poke, but it puts you in a little bit more of a tougher shot for sure. Yeah, and I mean, like, when I, when I hear that, I mean, I'm typically putting him at 30 with the hopes that coming in downwind results in a 15 20. to 20. Right. So, I mean, I wonder, you know, based on what and it's obviously I think we're probably more familiar because this is the same spot you've hunted the crabs buck, the wide nine. So there's this big, awesome pinch right there, correct? You've been, yeah, you've been there many times with us, yeah. Yeah, so it's tighter than maybe like a big wide open field. Do you think because there's so much around him that that's, you know, he's just like, screw it, let's tango. That's kind of why he went right behind him. I mean, it's closer quarters maybe. I'll tell you what I think it is, and I could be wrong on this. There's a camera. There, well, yeah, I don't know. There's a camera set up right there when they walk down that lane. I don't think he likes that camera. I think that camera has got him before, and I don't think he likes it. That's why he wouldn't walk there. That's what I personally think. I could be wrong on that, but that's why he circled the way that he did. So that'd be be very interesting. Another reason I never got a daylight picture of him too. He just yeah. Did, so, well, do you think our, though? That at any point when he was like circling though, Owen, do you think he ever thought that, Hey, something's off, you know, about this like type of thing that like, maybe he started to get an inclination that, Hey, maybe this isn't a real deer. Something's off about it, you know, type of thing too. Because a lot of times when they get old like that too, you know, they've seen some stuff, you know, type of thing, right. whether or not they've seen a decoy or not, like, you know, he got to the point where he maybe started to think like, Hey, something's up, you know, type of thing. Like anybody else, if, if they were in this field, they'd have been getting out of my way at this point, you know? Right. I didn't get that sense in the early going when he started to circle. I mean, he was just all bristled up and all about being the man. Now, later on, when he starts to kind of walk away, I did kind of get that feeling like he'd had enough. He didn't, he didn't like it or something. Maybe he was just going to walk off. I mean, it's hard to say, but yeah, in the, yeah. In the early going, I didn't feel like that, but, but you could be right toward the end there. Well, one of the things I think about like the, sometimes when you, you, you think about some of these archery shots too, I think that it can almost build up that archery shot with the decoy stuff sometimes too, because when that anticipation's building, when you see that buck walking in, you know, straight leg, strutting his stuff, all bristled up, you know, where like 
that's like when that adrenaline's like pumping through you, you know, type of thing. Like when it's really high where it's not like, Hey, they're coming through a funnel really quick, you know, type of thing. And you don't even have time to think about it. You grab your bow and you go back to the basics, what you've done in your training and you're doing, you know, you're shooting in your yard, whatever you're doing. Or like, that's one of those deals where like when there's all that buildup of him all bristled up in front of you, I feel like there has been, I've seen a lot of individuals like make bad shots in those circumstances. And I'm not saying that you did in this circumstance, but like, it's just like one of those situations where a lot of that buildup where you sit there and wait at full draw, you know, type of thing, because he's right out in front of you where that's just another variable with the decoy stuff too. Yeah. I see how you, it, somebody could get really freaked out in that situation. Like you say, oh, you yeah. know, he's coming in, you know, you're about to get your shot and you could just be yeah. wigging out. I totally yeah. see that. I guess that's why we all still go, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I felt pretty good about the shot, comfortable and everything. I just biding my time, waiting for the right angle, you know. What arrow setup are you shooting there? Do you have a heavier arrow? What broadhead yeah, that, shooting? Yeah, that's the that's the Orion. That's the the micro. I think that might be four millimeter. Yep. At about, I want to say it's like four. What is that? Four fifty, four sixty five, something somewhere in there. Maybe fourteen, fifteen percent FOC. So. I mean, kind of middle of the road, not real heavy, not a ton of FOC, but not real light either. And so yeah. that the first shot just zings right through him. And, uh, you know, second one hits the shoulder and, and stays in him. He breaks it off. So that's a, probably about my favorite setup right in that range because it's, I feel like it's a good compromise between the, the crazy heavy penetrating arrows versus a really fast arrow. Yep. So you get kind of the best of both worlds on that. Yeah. Well, I know that I am extremely excited um, to watch it unfold. I mean, between Kane's, between yours, I mean, Zach has an entire story that we didn't even get to dive into tonight. I mean, this cold front, I, you know, as an outdoor video editor, a hunting editor, I've been in a lot of situations where you don't have something to work with. I can tell you I've never been in a situation, and Gavin Katerba, who's not on here with us tonight, he is in a situation that I've never found myself in, which is, I think, between the Heartland show and the main show, I think he's at over 11 or 12 kills in the last three or four days. Wow. That is a positively overwhelming thing. And it just makes me so dang happy. Uh, you know, our team is awesome. And it's a lot of great deer hunters, a lot of very dedicated folks that, you know, get to capture these stories every year. And like everybody on this call, ex except me, I mean, I'm definitely not a part of this capturing stories. I'm just shooting footage that sits on a server, but it's, it's what this time of year is all about. It's what these cold fronts are about. You know, you guys put those tactics to work and to reward the folks who have made it this far in the podcast, very big eight pointer. So nobody's got to see those yet. We uh, are very, so what are you gonna do now? Like, I'm excited that you shot another deer, but I'm like, you going to go mule deer hunt or you going to go elk hunt yeah, something or what are you doing? I would oh. love to go. What's that? I So all summer, I was really intrigued by that new corn plot with the uh, redneck out in the mm. middle of the cedars. Can you just go sit in it for me so I can see how that hunts? Yeah, I definitely have, have been debating doing just that. Like, I got to get out. I, I can't set out all in November and, and not, not be out there at least some, you know. Go to Missouri. I, yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I need to find something. Maybe find some good public in Missouri, whatever. I should do it. Hey. Well, all I know is I'm very excited to see what the rest. I mean, it's literally Halloween, November's Eve. This is usually the day everybody's like, man, it's about to break out now. You know, I was, I was joking with Brian today. We're in the blind. And we're, we're talking about chasing November the series. And, you know, that opening thing of episode one is – well, sweet November's finally here. Sweet November. Mm -hmm. Oh, well. And I'm like, literally nobody's <laughs> going to be hunting tomorrow. <laughs> but most of them are tagged out. Who's going to even say it? So it's uh, that cold front was everything that we thought it could be. And congratulations to all three of you guys. Like I said, Zach hasn't got to tell his story yet, but we've got a lot of awesome content, a lot of awesome episodes with some great backstories and lessons that hopefully you guys can take and apply to your hunts. Um, episode four, I don't really know if I have anything else, guys. I mean, it's, uh, let's end it with what's your one piece of advice going into this first week of the rut where you, if you had tags, if you do, I know Kane and Zach, you guys both have a tag, correct? Yep. Where are you going to be sitting? 
Uh, my strategy is going to be the same. I'm going to dive into betting areas in the morning, try and get to where the does are at, where the bucks will be looking for them. And then for this, probably the first through the maybe the fourth, fifth, right in there, I think the evenings around a food source can still be pretty good. Those does aren't super harassed yet, and they're comfortable, and the bucks will be checking there at least. That's that's typically my game plan for this first week. So, Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd just echo what Kane said. I'm probably going to set my best funnel in the morning. It's going to be around doe bedding or, or a good transition, you know, maybe a ditch crossing or creek crossing, something like that. Then in the evening, I'm going to be around food. But there again, I still want that funnel effect, you know, like like where I was hunting where I killed, something mm-hmm. like that. That's what I'm going to hunt probably all through the rut, those kind of sets. Yeah, and I would say that for me, I think this specific year, what I'm going to say is that there's a couple deer on sections of farms that I'm hunting that I'm going to focus on those sections because even after I harvested my buck the other day, another buck that's on my hit list was like all over a section of my farm where he really only hits the southern edge of it. And I think I'm right on the edge of his core, which granted in a week, the core could be thrown out the window, you know, type of thing. But right now he's still really prevalent in that area where uh, if I can take advantage of that in the next week, week and a half, you know, type of thing before things get really thrown out of whack, you know, and he could be anywhere. I'm going to take advantage of that. But I mean, even my hunt the other night was an example of if you can hit, hunt that field edge with a funnel, mine was an inside corner that also is like the head of a ditch, you know, type of thing that they have to go around. When you can combine those variables this time of the year all into one spot, I mean, we all know, maybe we don't know all the best spots on our farms, but we have those ones that we dream about during the summer about, man, November, whatever, insert whatever date you want, we're going to be there, you know, type of thing. And uh, those are the ones we're going to be focusing on for sure. Yeah, that is awesome stuff. Well, for all of you that made this far, thank you so much for taking the time to listen and watch. You can find all the most recent episodes on the Midwest Whitetail YouTube channel. There is three episodes a week coming your way in the Midwest Whitetail Regional channel and then the Midwest Whitetail Daily Blogs. Keep up with what the guys are doing, what they're seeing, what tactics they're employing. I know a couple of updates that you guys might not have heard. Caleb Griner, last time he was on the podcast, talked about a deer that he called OG, a giant 180-inch class type deer, found dead of EHD. He has since found Lucky, who was his number one target, and found him dead. Same sort of scenario, same area, a absolute world-class giant deer that we will be pairing with Owen's episode next week. So you're going to get to see Owen's decoy hunts, and then you're also going to get to see the story come to a close of, frankly, a monarch in its own right. I mean, Owen and I were talking about it. I don't know if I've ever seen a more impressive whitetail. And uh, as unfortunate of an end as it was, you know, like I told Caleb, I'm super happy that he is the one that found both of those deer. You know, the chances and percentage of that occurring in itself is pretty low, but nobody could deserve those more. And I know that he has now since made the switch to South Central Iowa and is going to be resuming his hunting down there. So, again, a lot of action coming your guys' way. None of it's possible without the support you guys show us. So continue to let us know what you want to see, and we will do our best to bring it to the channel. Otherwise, good luck hunting. Hope you guys fill a tag, and we'll catch you on the next one.